Welcome to Any Given You. This show is about all things college football, and on it you'll hear insights, analysis, discussion, predictions, and stories of any given topic from any given time, past, present, or future. We believe that the stats are great, but the stories are greater. And you should listen if you have a passion for the game and what makes it great. We're going to talk about touchdowns and touched lives. Come with us on a journey that extends beyond the field of play. We will talk wins, losses, and coachable moments learned on the football field and taken to the classroom, workforce, home, and even the battlefield. Division one to division none. Five-star recruits to walk-ons, it doesn't matter. If it's college football, it's worth the story. I'm your host, Michael Megan. U.S. Army Ranger and a former college football player, and more importantly, a lifelong fan of all things college football. Whether you are a casual fan, a fanatic, a coach, a player, or just a person who loves great stories, then huddle up and commit at any given you. What's up, Any Given You? We are on the backside of a very eventful week zero slash week one Labor Day weekend college football extravaganza. And we are going to recap that action for sure as we have another very action-packed episode here for you today. A lot of picks to get to. Leaning forward into the week two action, definitely have some marquee matchups that we do want to talk about a little bit. But we do want to recap how this last week went. Before I get into that, though, I had my first experience top to bottom with a honest to God Texas A&M football game as they did host New Mexico Lobos and got a resounding victory over that squad. I think 52 to 10 or something like that was the final score. And it was a lot of fun. It was incredible to see Kyle Field in all its majesty rocking nearly a hundred thousand in the house it wasn't quite a packed house you don't expect like a a full-on packed house turnout for that sort of game especially with the travel that a lot of people have for the labor day weekend but definitely an awesome experience did some live streaming of my experiences there getting to work with the army aviation uh, element that was controlling the black hawk uh, flyover for that game. Really, really fun stuff. We didn't quite hit our mark. We were about 10 seconds late on the flyover, but hey, first game jitters, got to work it out. But it was just so cool to see all the fans pouring into the stadium. It was really neat to, uh, I had an all access pass that was given to me. Got to sit in on the SEC program media um, meeting prior to, to listen to all the backside coordination that goes into bringing you the product that you see on the TV. Uh, really interesting conversations there behind closed doors really gives you an idea of where the focus really is in today's modern college football. Once again, about the, uh, the ads and the product placement and everything else. I, I kind of wanted to throw up in my mouth a little bit listening to the conversations, but I digress. It was really cool to be able to go everywhere and anywhere inside the stadium, scored a free chicken sandwich up in the press box. I got some good food up there and got to see this venue from all angles. Definitely hopped in down into the student section with my all access pass and spent some time because I am a man of the people. Uh, definitely got to go spend some time with the Corps of Cadets as well. Got to lock arms and do a little bit of psalm off during the uh, the Aggie War hymn. So it was really, really fun, man. It was a good experience. The Brooke and the girls were there. 
Uh, we stayed into the third quarter a little bit, and then it was bedtime for Bonzo for my seven and five year old. They were not hanging in there too well by that time. And again, it was 106 degrees at kickoff with the sun beating down there for a little bit. So they were troopers in their own capacity. Mama had herself a good time. Mrs. Megan, uh, the Dosekis was flowing. Uh, definitely, definitely had a had a had a fun night on our way back there, and it was a great experience had by all. So very excited for that first Texas A&M game. Hopefully, it's definitely not my last. I think I might be able to weasel my way onto the field for that Alabama game to be part of the reviewing party there with the with the cadets, as I am their advisor after all. So, um, but looking forward to that. But I digress. Let's get into this. Let's get into a recap of how our week went. So overall, we were 22 and 14 across all our picks. Uh, and that includes our money line sprinkles as well as our spreads, overs, unders, spreads, overs, unders sitting at a little bit around 500 or so. But the money line was real good. We had some really good takes and we had some really bad takes going back and listening to last week's episode. So let's get into it without any kind of further ado. LSU was one of my worst takes coming into this one. Definitely thought that they were going to play and express themselves at a level that was much higher than what we saw. Now, I am not selling all my stock on, on LSU by any stretch of the imagination. It is a long season, and you try not to overreact too much. That's the disclaimer here. Let's not overreact and be one of these ESPN talking head shows. That's not what we do here. We allow things to play out a little bit. There is a lot of football left to play, but LSU is not at the level that we thought that they were across the roster. They're still a very good team. They're talented, but you wonder if their quarterback – situation is actually leveraging the most out of that offense. Jaden Daniels, again, a talented guy, but not somebody that's going to be able to stretch the field and make you pay over the top. And you wonder if if they were to bring in a situation, if they have a quarterback on that roster, <laughs> Garrett Nussmeyer, uh, whether or not you know he can come in, even in the small sample size we saw him playing in, stretching the field, if he can do that consistently, I think it begins to open up a lot of things for your offense. They have to respect that, so it allows more movement in the run game. But Florida State, ooh, that was another bad take of mine. I thought Florida State coming into this year would be a good football team. I thought that... Again, given some of the things that maybe I read into a little too much in the historics of this team, and I was just wrong about them. I, I was I was wrong about Florida State. I have them. I had them in my top twenty-five, ranked at about thirteen or so. And needless to say, I think they're going to bump up in my opinion about a good eight or nine spots uh, based on what we saw. This is a team that is a combination of a talented roster leveraged through the portal and then veteran leadership that decided to come back and play for this Knowles team. And make no mistake, the, the Seminoles team that we saw against LSU, if they continue to show up consistently week in and week out, this is a team that can absolutely win the ACC. This is a team, and I mean, given some recent events, I don't know how you couldn't favor them to. This is a team that can make the playoff. This is a team that could potentially push for a national title um, if they continue to play at that kind of clip because it is not easy to essentially shut out LSU all the way till garbage time in the second half, make adjustments, take away anything positive that LSU was doing in the first half because it was a dogfight back and forth, but to come out and just beat the living shit out of those guys in the second half, wow. 
I'm just I'm I'm floored by that performance. And to me, I think that is the most the most impressive win of the weekend is what Florida State did to LSU on that level. Crazy. Talking about another, I guess you could call it impressive win. Okay. Colorado TCU. Okay, here's another bad take. We took TCU to win this competition. We did not touch the spread as we didn't think that TCU was going to come in gangbusters and beat the ass off of Colorado. Did think that it was going to be a close game, but Colorado, and it was, and Colorado found a way to pull it out there in the end, 45-42 over the Horned Frogs in Dallas. Colorado, okay, I'm just going to break this down for you. They have some dudes, man, and they have some dudes that can play. They've got about a half a dozen dogs on that squad that can play really well. And the OC knows what he's doing. Again, former head coach at Kent State, the same team that gave Georgia some fits last year in the regular season. And he has put together an awesome plan for this TCU game. Really did. They executed it nicely and and lured TCU into that shootout style of football that I think Colorado is going to try to pull every single team that they play into. They want to be explosive. They want to push the issue down the field. They want to go to guys like Jimmy Horn and Travis Hunter, um, guys that are playmakers. They want to get the ball in space in their playmakers' hands and play fast. Here's the here's the thing, right? If you if you possess the kind of guys that's able to slow that down, if you possess the kind of guys that are able to, you know, place out at the line of scrimmage and take away some of those matchups, right, and 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 really kind of disrupt the timing of that quick snap ball out of the hand type stuff, and you start forcing Colorado into some punting situations, and then when you get the ball, you kind of slow that game down, you wonder if the formula will continue to work week in and week out. I am not sold on Colorado yet. I'm not. And if Coach Sanders was sitting here and he asked me if I do believe, well, believe what? Do I believe now that you're capable of beating teams in a shootout fashion? Should you enact your game plan? Absolutely. You got some You got some uh, talent to do that. But here's some other things, flipping it over to the other team, right? You know, we, we know we it's well documented. Travis Hunter had a great day. Shadur Sanders had a great day. Jimmy Horn had a great day. Their running back went off with all sorts of receiving yards. But flipping it over to the other side of the ball, I like to take a look in the margins and see this, this, the sustainability of these things. Really, what this comes down to was TCU had two critical red zone turnovers at the worst time. And that's really what separated this one. If you look at turnovers and turnover margin, that usually determines your victor. TCU was getting the yards they wanted. I know Colorado had 500 plus yards on the day. Most of that through the almost 90% of that through the air, by the way, their rushing stats, Colorado was abysmal 2.9 yards per attempt and 1.9 when you adjust for sack yardage. So they're going to have to run the ball much more effectively to continue to beat some of the teams that are on their schedule. I'm just going to say that flat out right now. But a TCU squad that was getting what they wanted, moving the ball very effectively, much better in the run game against Colorado's defense. And again, this is a TCU squad that's missing 22 seniors off of last year's roster. So a depleted TCU squad in terms of experience and snap count and everything else from last year, they still put up like I said, over 500 yards on this Colorado defense, which is a, a real concern to me. So that's what this kind of comes down to is you kind of scratch your head as to why TCU got away from the run game. They were markedly better than Colorado in that stat. 
uh, and you wonder why they even tried and attempted to try Travis Hunter on that side of the field. Again, Chandler Morris got to question the decision-making with that second big uh, turnover in the red zone. I am very happy for one player in particular. It's Colorado's starting middle linebacker for this game. I'm blanking on the kid's name. I Forgive me. He is one of the original Colorado uh, kids who's been on the roster for three years. I'm happy for kids like that, the very few of them that are still on this roster for Colorado before Dion came in and completely gutted the place. Um, I'm happy for kids like that to get the program win. The rest of the kids on this Colorado squad, it's not like they don't know what success is. Most of these kids, you know, a, a strong nucleus of these kids either came from Jackson State or other programs where they just couldn't crack the roster. They couldn't crack playing time at some of the bigger programs. So these are kids that have already understood and know what success feels and tastes like. But for kids like aforementioned player, middle linebacker number 43, who snagged that interception, the first red zone interception, again, I'm blanking on his name. Um, very, uh, very happy for kids like that. And again, you know, Dion going into the presser, of course, Coach Prime's going to make it about himself. He's going to be the center of gravity around the program. He's going to talk to people. I've got receipts. Do you believe now? Blah. It's part of his shtick. I'm not angry at it. I do not believe that Colorado is going to be a bowl team. I still don't believe that. And I still don't believe, I definitely don't believe they're going to be a 9, 10, 11 win juggernaut and win the Pac-12 like some people have completely overreacted to this week one win. I am still in wait and see, and you got to show me Colorado on a consistent basis week in and week out. I will tell you this. I don't think Travis Hunter, for as talented as he is and such a dog that he is, and he is a great player. Great, fantastic player. I don't think he's going to be able to take 129 snaps every week. I'm just going to say that. All right, so they're they're going to have to find some some answers from somewhere else, you know, in the two and three deep to come in and alleviate a little bit of the pressure off of some of these topsoil guys. Because if they get dinged up, if they get hurt, or they have a bad week, you're looking at a different Colorado squad. I'm just going to say that because there is there is writing on the wall in the margins if you know where to look. But good win. For Coach Prime, I was wrong. I was wrong about week one. Okay, put that one to bed. Clemson, holy shit. So Clemson showed us <clears throat> that they are exactly the same team they've been the last two years, at least offensively. And I think <clears throat> on defense, they might have taken a little bit of a step back, if I'm being 100% honest. And that happens at programs that you have, you know, the sort of attrition rate and the turnover in the draft every single year. But most of your other major programs have evolved in a way that they understand you You now, this is a game of retention. This is a game of recruiting in multi-dimensions. This is, this is not checkers, okay? This is three-dimensional chess, especially when you're talking about putting together rosters over the offseason. And I think this one's on Dabo. Because, again, Clemson, notably one of the most insulated programs in all of college football, really refuses to play the portal game. And I think that the personnel that they have, at least offensively at Clemson, are stale. They're not suited maybe right now to do what Garrett Riley might want to do offensively. I don't think Garrett Riley is a bust as a coordinator. I don't. I think he did a lot more with a lot less last year at TCU. The proof's in the pudding. Again, comes from that pedigree. You know he talks to his brother, one of the best offensive minds in all college football. I think the guy knows how to call plays. 
I don't think that the personnel are there to do what maybe he wants to do. And that was on full display in this game. Let's talk about the winner of this contest, Duke. Mike Elko's squad, man, I'll tell you what, this Duke squad is well-coached, man. They are well-coached, and they did not flinch. They knew what they had coming out of that locker room, and they did not flinch in that moment. The spotlight was not too big for them. It is a good football team. They are well-prepared. They're poised, and Mike Elko knows what kind of brand of ball he wants to play with them. I'm going to tell you this right now. Just... As we sit after week one, okay, and this 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 is obviously subject to change. I'm not trying to overreact too much, but if I if I had to just time capsule this in week one right now, I've got the ACC as Florida State is the best team in the ACC. I've got North Carolina at second. We'll talk about their game next here in a second. I've got Miami at third. I've got Duke at four, and Clemson with that offense. I've got you all the way. I've got them down at five. I have them as the fifth best team in the ACC right now because they're still one-dimensional. They're just stale. And Dabo's got some serious soul-searching to do if he wants this Clemson program to continue to survive into the future. They're going to have to, they're going to, have to get with the program. Uh, just plain and simple, that's the way I see it. South Carolina, North Carolina, again, once again, it sounds like I just took more. It sounds like I took more losses than I took wins. I didn't. Twenty-two and fourteen overall. But man, there were some high visibility losses for me this week. And you know, if I'm going to talk about the success, I got to talk about the shortcomings too. So we went out on a limb and we thought that UNC, okay, would be the same team that we have seen the last several years out of UNC. Not physical. Not fast on defense. Not flying the ball. Gene Chizik in his first year as defensive coordinator last year really underwhelmed in a lot of ways. And we thought, once again, we were going to see a soft UNC football team. That was not the case. That was not the case. Offensively, they did what we thought they would do offensively. But defensively, that's the real story. Nine sacks against that South Carolina offensive line. Uh, Spencer Rattler running for his life, taken down most of the night. I will give credit to Spencer Rattler. He didn't throw a pick somehow with people draped all over him, probably because he couldn't get the ball out. Um, An additional six tackles for loss, so that's 15 tackles for loss total in this game as UNC completely dominated the trench play in this matchup, and that, my friends, was surprising. So if that North Carolina version can continue to show up week in and week out, I think we could see a very intriguing matchup down the road between you know, maybe a Florida State UNC or maybe, you know, a UNC Miami, some somewhere in my opinion, who I think really is sort of the top three teams in the ACC. I think Miami's quietly good. I, I, that doesn't mean going ahead, previewing their, you know, a little bit their, their matchup with Texas A&M later in the episode. That doesn't mean I necessarily mean that I think they're going to win that one outright. My, my confidence is super and high in Miami to do that. But I do think that they are a very uh, quietly good and improved football team in the ACC this year. So it's really, really intriguing stuff when you take a look at the level that Florida State has come in at, UNC has come in at, you know, again, Miami talented, took care of business this last weekend, did what they had to do on both sides of the ball. Duke obviously showing out in a big way. And then, you know, Clemson is still a very talented roster, but they have more questions than answers right now. The reigning defending 
national champion Georgia Bulldogs. I am not in panic mode over a 41-point win, okay? Let me ask you this question. Since when has Kirby Smart been concerned with style points, especially in games like this where they are taking on, you know, FCS or group of five opponents? Usually these types of games for Georgia are the tune-up style types of games where he is trying to assess his depth. He's trying to rotate guys in there. He's trying to get better at some aspect of his football team, and he understands that he has the reps to do it. I'm not concerned at all at 48-7. to I know that it's not the ever-impressive 66 the nothing blowout that some of these squads or like Oklahoma 73 to nothing on Arkansas State the state of those two programs is very different. You got Dab, you got, uh, excuse me, Brent Venables at Oklahoma that's literally coming into this year already in hot seat talk, really coaching for his job. He had to come out and knock the taste of last year out of somebody's mouth. And so that's what he did. He went out and made that 73 to nothing, I can beat the shit out of a bad team statement game. And unfortunately, the sacrificial lamb was Arkansas State. Georgia is not in that position. Georgia is the king of the jungle. They are the alpha lion. They don't concern themselves with the opinion of the sheep. So, you know, I'm not worried about it. They took care of business. They did what they had to do, and they're leaning forward into their matchup with Ball State, which, once again, not worried about style points. The defense will still show up, and the offense will continue to work out the kinks. They're going to be just fine. The Pac-12... Let's talk about them, man. They are a pool of sharks right now. I think it's ironic in the last year of the Pac-12 that they've looked as good as we've probably seen or as deep as we've probably seen, at least after week one, once again, once again, after week one, disclaimer, that we've seen the Pac-12 in probably 20 years, right? USC hung another half a hundred on Nevada, okay, and then gave up two less touchdowns. I haven't watched the tape. I haven't watched the film. Uh, but it's a better stat line, at least. I would like to kind of dig into the minutiae and see whether or not that defense is taking steps forward. If they are, man, USC is dangerous. They're going to be dangerous all year. Utah dominated Florida, missing six starters in that game to include their signal caller and Cam Risen, their starting center, their defensive captain. Uh, they, they were missing dudes and still took care of business easily against the Florida Gators, controlled that game. It was never, to me, it was never really in doubt. It was a little bit of a back and forth early, but 24 to 11, uh, knocked the taste out of their mouth, sent the Gators packing, and dominated them pretty much for two and a half, three quarters of that game uh, at home. Oregon hangs 81 points on Portland State. Looked like it was a little bit close early, little stagnant, and then by halftime, there was 50 points on the board from the Ducks. Again, returning quarterback situation. Dan Lanning coaching them up on the defensive side of the ball. Oregon's a very talented team. They're a dangerous team out there, too. You've got Washington taking out Boise State. Again, in an impressive victory because Boise State is not a G5 pushover. They are a perennial G5 power. They're usually a Mountain West Conference champion. They're probably going to be favored to still win that conference this year, more than likely. And they took them to the woodshed as Washington was just, in fact, so much better than that squad. Michael Penix picking up right where he left off. Oregon State looked efficient on both sides of the ball, taking care of San Jose State. Cal. 58 points. I don't know if Cal scored 58 points all last year. That offense is a serious dose of uh, 
TNT right now, and it was against a UNT squad, excuse me, North Texas, that some people believe would give them issues coming into this game, especially in the in the offseason preseason talk. UCLA appears to have found a defense. Hey, look, it wasn't a, an ever impressive beatdown, but again, it's playing Coastal Carolina, a squad that's known a lot of success over the last several years. Grayson McCall coming into the house, you know, experienced signal caller, a, a program, G5 program, albeit, but a, a G5 program with a lot of pride in what they do. They come in there and UCLA's defense really flashed on film. And Dante Moore, I think, is going to be the new signal caller there as he gave the offense juice finally to on the backside of that game. And they really took control of that competition. You have to consider last year, UCLA went to the wire with South Alabama. They really did do a really good job against Coastal in terms of game control this one. So the Pac-12 currently at this moment, you know, undefeated uh, after week one. So, I mean, when you look around the other conferences, nobody else can claim that, first off. Secondly, yeah, okay. So I get asked this question in the DMs. The SEC looks so bad right now, right? They look horrible. Uh, and my response to that is, well, there's some matchups that didn't go their way, but overall, no, I wouldn't say they look horrible. Again, the SEC, another team with five teams that put up 50 burgers on their opponents. Texas A&M looks like a much improved passing attack. Arkansas came out, looked sharp, handled business. Ole Miss, 73 points on Mercer. You know, you've you've got you've got teams that came out and handled business the way they were supposed to. The three losses that the SEC has out of conference right now, those are all against ranked opponents. You got LSU going down to Florida State ranked. You've got South Carolina, once again, sort of a, again, a middle to bottom tier SEC program against a ranked UNC, lost that contest. And then Florida, worst Florida team that we've seen in a good long while, they lose to a ranked Utah, right? If you look at the other conferences, even though they weren't like big spotlight events, there are some embarrassing losses out here for every conference. The ACC, right? You've got Boston College losing to Northern Illinois. Big 12 losses to Wyoming and Texas State uh, surviving, BYU surviving against Sam Houston State, 14-0, barely, right? The Big 10, Purdue loses to Fresno. Illinois survives Toledo by two points. Wisconsin didn't look very sharp versus Buffalo, freaking Iowa. <laughs> Iowa started off fast scored some points, and then turned back into the no-score pumpkin that we all remember from last year as they, once again, lackluster performance against Utah State 24-14. So um, when you look across the conferences, it's still wait and see for everybody. And it's funny how, once again, you know, when you are a conference that produces a national champion almost every single year and you draw a lot of ire and hate across the entire football landscape, they love to point out when you fall short. But I would say... Every conference has, you know, a little something, something going on right now, be it for the good, the bad, but the PAC 12 is coming out with their hair on fire this year. And I just, I find it so ironic that in the last year of that conference's existence, as we know it, and the last year of so many things in existence, as we know it, you know, they look this good. I'm going to go ahead and give you my sprinkles and my look aheads for this week's action. We're not going to mess around too much. Uh, with the preview side of the house as far as really deep diving. I just want to give you some picks. So we're going to take Iowa State plus four versus Iowa. 
We're going to take Notre Dame at minus seven and a half versus NC State. We're taking Virginia Tech on the money line to beat Purdue. We're taking K-State minus 16 and a half versus Troy. We are going to take Coastal Carolina over Jacksonville uh, State, and we're going to take the under 58 in that contest. We are going to take the under 58 and a half in Wisconsin versus Washington State. We're going to take Utah minus seven and a half, and they will beat Baylor. We're going to take James Madison over Virginia. We're going to take Memphis to cover at 21 versus Arkansas State. We're taking Mississippi State to cover at minus nine versus Arizona. We are going to take the over 57 points in UCF versus Boise. We will take Pitt over Cincy. Let's talk about some of these little bit of of fun matchups, right? Auburn versus Cal. Once again, this Cal team is, from what we've seen so far, just, again, small sample size, but they look much better. It is a tough road trip for Auburn to go over there. And again, in a Hugh Freeze sort of rebuild, we're still not quite sure what we're going to get out of Auburn. So we will take Cal plus six and a half, playing at home with the coaching continuity over there with what looks to be an improved Cal program. Texas A&M versus Miami, we're going to take the under 51 because we like Miami's ability to run the ball. We like Texas A&M's ability to also maybe run the ball a little bit. Two defensive squads are going to be very good, and I think two coaching staffs are going to be a little hesitant at least early or maybe most of this game, Uh, and we've seen the hesitation and the conservative play out of Coach Cristobal. He's not afraid to kick field goals. So I think that these two squads do enough to keep this one under 51, but I do not have a winner in this competition as I think this one is so, so close in terms of talent and the matchup in and of itself. And then we close with Texas versus Alabama. We are going to take Texas at plus seven in this competition. We still lean towards Alabama for the win, but both of these rosters, once again, do things that I think are going to enable them to have a little bit of success against each other. It will be really interesting. I think the key matchup to watch is that Texas front seven versus Alabama's run game. Can they keep Jalen Milrow in the pocket and force him to prove that he can push the ball down the field against, you know, top tier FBS competition, uh, you know, top tier power five competition. Can he do that? And then on the other side, Texas, can they get a couple of their nice receiver pieces in guys like Isaiah Nair and Xavier Worthy and A.D. Mitchell to create matchup problems and allow to pick up some chunk plays against this Alabama defense. Very excited for this competition, but at a whole-ass touchdown, we'll go out on a limb and we will take Texas plus seven. I think it's going to be a close game no matter what uh, as they are going to go back and forth because there's so much talent on both of these squads. Um, you know, I think it's going to go down that way. And anyway, thank you for spending time with me. We bring it to you under 30 minutes. So any given time, any given place, any given team, you get it here at any given you and happy week two.